some of you might know that uh, Christy Dupuy had emergency appendectomy yesterday, and she was moved to ICU this morning with some problems uh, from the infection. Uh, undoubtedly, the appendix was very infected, so some of that's affected her system. And um, we're just going to pause here and pray for her and, and pray for others. Would you join me now? Lord, we just ask for immediate intervention. And Chrissy, we pray for your power to come into that ICU unit and begin to take this infection out of her system. And we thank you for Leon being here. Thank you for the healing of his hip. We pray over Raymond. Pray over Darlene Wright. We pray, Lord, for our breakthrough in Carl Roof. We ask, Lord, for you to touch Janice Charters today and minister to Vernon and others who are starting the year without a very close person in their lives. We we don't know what that's like to walk that kind of place. Many of us here don't. But those who do know that they need constant encouragement, constant prayer. And this year we just want us to be more sensitive to people's needs so that we can intercede in a way that breaks through for them. We want to see breakthrough. We want to see everyone in this room that needs a breakthrough. We know that you're not short on those. So we are appealing to the abundance of heaven to be poured out upon those who are lacking today and that you would speak to us and change us, Lord. Change our hearts, our minds. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to jump right into 1 Samuel. Uh, it's good to see you. Happy New Year. Thank you for being here on this first Sunday of 2020. Uh, Brad is not here, but he needs your prayers because he's doing his first funeral today. So uh, it's a grandmother of one of the young people, and uh, he was asking me about the protocol at funerals. I said, well, I don't know if there is a protocol. You know, it's, it's just ministry time, really what it boils down to, and I know he's going to be just fine ministering in that family. So, but um, I want to I take you to an interesting place in 1 Samuel. You might have heard of Zig Ziglar. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Zig Ziglar. Um, how many are familiar with Zig Ziglar? Raise your hand. Well, there's hands going up all over the place. How about Charles Tremendous Jones? Anybody here ever heard Charles Tremendous Jones speak? Anybody? Going once, going twice. I have. I heard Charles Tremendous Jones speak at a Zig Ziglar meeting in Jacksonville, Florida in the 80s. And there was a reason they called him Charles Tremendous Jones. He was like hyperactive. I mean, he came in hyperactive. He spoke hyperactive. Probably one of the most inspiring speakers, leadership speakers in the 1980s. He passed away around, I think, 2008. Um, but the most familiar quote, we heard it, I think Patrick Lencioni at Highlands, gave the most uh, endearing quote that Charles Tremendous Jones is known for. You got your pen? All right. Whether you have it or not, here it is. You will be the same person in five years as you are today except for two things. Anybody know? It's been repeated so many times, some of you might know. The people you meet and the books you read. You'll be the same person Five years from what you are right now, 
you can add up your age, and I don't want to do that, really. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use, I'm going to be the same person in two years. <laughs> except, for, except for the people I meet, the books I read, and there really is a third thing that is going to be different, and that is in how you age during those five years. Right? So my son is getting everything out of me he can get out of me while I'm physically able for him to get it out of me. So um, does that resonate with you? And he says, well, if you're not a reader, well, you better start meeting a lot of people. If you, if you want to be a different person, that's his favorite quote. Um, and uh, here we are five days into 2020. I don't know if you've had any changes yet in people you've met and any books you've started reading, but that's, according to him, that's the way you're going to be a different person in five years. And um, forget about losing weight. Forget about all of these other things. Just read some books and meet people. It'll change your life. Maybe read a dieting book. You never know. If that, that might help you. Uh, a, a major factor in all of this is you know, and, and, uh, and you have a handout. I don't know if you've looked at the title. It's kind of an interesting title. I, I, sometimes I like to put titles on. Sometimes it's just like, okay. But it's writing history and writing the history for this year. We think you can only write history past, from past history. That history is a look at the past. Well, I'm going to read a chapter to you or, or refer to to you a chapter that is pre-written before it happens he said well that's prophecy I, I, well it is prophetic it has to be prophetic for someone to write something that's about to happen is prophetic right but what we read in that chapter is it, it takes on a different tone than just prophetic it's amazing what we're going to read here in first samuel um Chapter 9 prefaces chapter 10. Chapter 10 is what our focus is going to be. Um, and, and this chapter 9 introduces us to a man named Saul. It introduces, first of all, if you're in 1 Samuel chapter 9, just follow along with me because chapter 9 is very important. It leads into chapter 10 in more ways than one because it's almost like this, there should not be there should not be a stopping point in chapter 9 and 10. It should just continue to flow because that's what happens here. But we're introduced to a man named Kish, and it says he's from Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. He has a son, a very handsome son named Saul. And uh, the issue comes up that they're nomadic people. They're, they're like Bedouins that still are in Israel. I had a chance to go to Israel twice. First time was out on the road to Jericho, was going to Jericho, which is now the West Bank. And our tour bus stopped, and out there was a tent of Bedouin sheep herders. This is the way they live. They live in the tent. They move around their sheep, their goats. They feed them. It's open range, and there's still like 250,000 Bedouins in Israel alone. Most of them... Most of them are still doing what they've done for generations, and that's just live off the land. They have, they, they, do, they don't go to school, they just are Bedouins. So here's Saul, and they're open range, and they've got donkeys that's come up missing. And so chapter 9, his dad sends 
his son, Saul, and his servant, go find the donkeys that have wandered off. And chapter 9 tracks their effort to find those donkeys. Three days they're looking, and they have not found any trace of those animals. They've ate all their food. They don't know what to do. They don't know which way to go. They have looked everywhere they thought that these animals would be. And so the servant turns to Saul and says, You know what? We're near a town that I hear a prophet lives there. A seer lives there. And maybe if we go and talk to him, he can give us some kind of direction as to how we can find these animals. If you follow, follow me in chapter 9, Saul says, But we don't have anything to give to him. We, we need to have an offering to present to him. We have no food left in our bags. And the servant says, well, I have a half shekel of silver, and we can give it to him. He says, so let's go. We're going to find the man of God. We're going to find the prophet, the seer, and maybe he can give us some advice. And as they're going, they come to the town, we think, and there's some ladies there. They're young ladies. They're drawing water, and they said, is this the, the town the seer is at, the prophet? They said, yes, but you better hurry and catch him. They're going up to the high place. They're going to have a sacrifice and a big meal, and maybe you can catch him before he goes up to the high place. So they hurry on, and here comes Samuel toward them. And I'm going to pause right here because it tells you in parenthesis that the previous day, at that very point of the day, the Lord spoke to Samuel and says, at this point tomorrow, at this very hour tomorrow, uh, you're going to meet a man from Benjamin, and he is, I've chosen him to be the ruler over Israel. So here comes Samuel, and as he's coming toward these two men, they do not know each other. They're not familiar with one another, never met. God speaks to Samuel as he's walking toward these two men. And he says, that's the man I was telling you about yesterday. That's the man from Benjamin. And as they come and approach him, they do not know him. He says, can you show us where the prophet's house is? Can you show us where the seer's house is? He says, that, that would be me. Come with me. We're going to have a meal. And as this day unfolds, they got a big dinner. They feed. They feed he feeds the two. They stay at his house. The next morning, they get up really early. This is toward the tail end of chapter 9. And they get up at daybreak. And Samuel has only kind of gave a little bit of a hint when he says, by the way, you know, you're, you're, the donkeys have been found. The donkeys have been found, and your father is okay. He knows that the donkeys have been found. And he says something about, and who knows that Israel will need someone like you. I'm paraphrasing it. And he says, why did you say that to me? Why did you say something like that to me? I'm just, I'm, a, I'm from the smallest tribe of Israel, and I'm from the smallest clan of Benjamin. And why did you say that to me? So this is the only clue that Saul's got, well, something's not right here. Something's strange about this. So they get up the next morning, and they go to, to leave, and the servant is with him. And Samuel tells the servant, says, you go on ahead. I need to talk to him. And when the servant gets away, he pulls out, this is in chapter 10, if you're there. It's amazing. It starts off with this, that Samuel pulls out a flask of oil and pours it over his head and says, 
you will be, you are anointed as the ruler over Israel. That's what he says. Took a flask of oil, poured it over his head, kissed him, said, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? And then chapter 10 gets to be amazing. Pardon me if I get just a little excited about this. Because there is, there's so much here in this chapter, probably it needs to be in a sermon series, but here we go. Verse 2, he tells him, you know, after he pours the oil over and says, God, has not God anointed you? He says, now, today, this is what's going to happen. As you go near Rachel's tomb, y'all going to meet two men, and they're going to they're be telling you this. Hey, your father has found the donkeys, and they're no longer worried about the donkeys. He's worried about you. Are you following this? Are you there in chapter 10? And in verse 3, he says, when you arrive at the, when you leave them, they're going to give you this message. This is just amazing to me. When you leave them, you go down to the great tree of Tabor, and there's going to be three men there who are going up to worship at Bethel. And this is what you'll know them by. One will have three goats, one will have three loaves of bread, and the other one will have a skin of wine. And they're going to offer you two loaves of bread, and you will accept them. And he says, when you leave there, head on to Gibeah, and there's a, a Philistine outpost there, which is kind of interesting that it has that little notation to it. And as you near the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets. And they're going to have all these instruments being played as part of the worship as, as leading them in this procession. And they're going to start prophesying. And when you get there, you're going to start prophesying with them. And God is going to change you into a different person. Isn't that what it says? It says you're going to be... Does anybody here... Say, Lord, if you're here to change someone, I volunteer. I volunteer. Anybody here want to be changed? Well, he's telling, he's telling these guys, says, you're going to see this group of people, and you're going to have this group of men, and you're going to meet with these people, and you're going to start prophesying, and you're going to be changed into a different person. All of these took place in the matter of one single day. It was like God was writing Saul's history before it ever happened. Samuel told him distinctly that there's things that's going to be in your control, but there's things that's going to be outside of you that God is going to orchestrate. And all of this is to convince you that the hand of God is on you. Now, if you follow the rest of chapter 10, um, let me just pause here because what S Samuel did, he poured that oil on him and says, has not the Lord anointed you to be the ruler over his inheritance? It was only the two of them. There was nobody that else that saw this. So the rest of chapter 10, Samuel has this gathering. He tells Saul, you stay and give until I get there. And when I get there, Samuel arrives and this is what he wants to do. He says, we're going we're gonna to have um, a selection here. We're going to call the different tribes and wherever the lot falls. And I have no idea how they did this. Okay. It worked. 
we're going to bring representatives of all the tribes of Israel, and the lot fell on Benjamin. And then they started bringing the different clans of Benjamin, and the lot fell on the clan that Saul was from, and then the lot fell on Saul publicly, and guess where Saul was at? He was hiding in the supplies. This is what is so unique, unique about Saul. Saul was not your, um, oh, can I, can I do this? Can I, I want to do something. Give it to me. I'll go with it. I'll run with it. He didn't want any part of this. He didn't want any public announcement. He didn't even want to be, a, he didn't want anybody's attention. Anybody here like that? You don't want anybody's attention. Just why? I don't want any attention drawn to me. And yet here was Saul being chosen. And the reason why I believe this is a story for the first Sunday of 2020 is what kind of history does God want to write for you this year? What is the history that he has for you? Now, I've made it a point that I'm going to ask and talk every day about what the Lord wants to do in a person's life. And I'm, I'm pretty much managed to see opportunities to do that, even this morning. Before I ever got here, I got to ask a young lady, what do you think God wants to do in your life? And she says, uh, to get closer to him. Is, is this thing doing this? Okay. I guess I shouldn't be moving around. And, uh, and Michael says, let me, let me uh, turn this off and go to handheld. That I asked a young man at Starbucks that very thing. What do you think the Lord wants to do in your life in 2020? And he said to uh, read my Bible more and pray more. I said, that's pretty good. Do you think that man's life will change if he does that? So who is, who is orchestrating the change in his life? Who is the catalyst for the change in his life? It's, it's kind of like the, the, the word of the Lord that we had during worship. God just gives us a word. The faith point is what we do with it. You know, and when he said, I'm on, I want to pray more and I want to read the, my Bible more, I knew then that young man, if he follows through with that, he's going to have a different history for this year than he had last year. And this young lady this morning said to me, I want to get closer to the Lord. And then she says, what do you think he wants for you? I says, same thing. I want to hear his voice more. I want to get closer to him. I want to experience him more. I want to see what he has for me. I want to, I want to see what I can't see. I want to see what he sees. And that, that, that is what I think is what every one of us should be wanting. Is what do we want for 2020? What kind of history do we want? God was pre-writing history for Saul. Now, he got off track later on, but he was not only. One of the things that, that happens when 
Samuel is talking to him and giving him all of this stuff that's going to happen. When Samuel turns around and walks away from him, the scripture says that the heart of Saul changed. He had a different heart. How many of you know that only God can change the heart? Only, have you tried to change yourself? Have you tried to not have a bad temper? No, don't raise your hand or don't say anything. That really works good, is it? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yell at motorists on McFarland Boulevard this year. I'm not gonna ever use the word stupid again when I'm in a vehicle. Right? <laughs> good luck with that. Because <laughs> most of it is that that's part of our template. We, we're just like, that's me, that's who I am. And, and if we could change ourselves, how many of us would be so radically different today if we could do that? And doesn't it boil down to this, that we recognize that God is the only one who can internally change who we are. And what we have to do is get really honest with him and say, That's, I don't like that about myself. I don't like that I'm, I'm a procrastinator. I don't like that I'm, I delay putting, putting things off. I, I don't like certain things that are characteristic of me. We're not going to go any further this year if we just hang on to the same thing that we are. And if I was to ask you, what does the Lord want to do in your life this year? And if you were to tell me, I don't know, then what you're telling me, you are stuck in a rut. And Ronald Gray, our good friend, defined a rut this way. A rut is a grave with both ends knocked out. You only die in a rut. You don't live. And you never change when you're in a rut. So how does God get us out of that? I think he has to take us back to his word. He has to take us to stories like this. Is God less interested in your story than he was in Saul's story that day? Because you think your role is not as prominent as Saul, that maybe God is less interested. I, I just believe that he's as interested in the role that he has for you as he is for anybody. There's only one Billy Graham that comes along for a while. But he came out of a setting in North Carolina. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought that man would come out of the setting he came out of? He was the most unlikely of people for God to put his hand. And you know what? He remembered that all of his life. That's why he lived a simple life. He didn't live in a big mansion. He lived in the same house. He didn't pile up resources. He gave away stuff. Why? Because he was a servant of the Lord and God just had his hand on him. But he was not that much different than you. Not that much different. God just put him in a different role. But he is as interested because there's people in your life that only you can reach. There's people in your life. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren should hear you talk about the Lord to them. And I was telling someone the other day that, that Christmas Eve candlelight communion service, when I got a chance to have all five of our grandchildren in a circle 
getting to talk to them about what the bread represents and what the cup represents and leading them and praying with them and reminding them and, and having communion with them and my son, my daughter, all of them in that circle, to me, that was the best. If I didn't have anything else about Christmas, that was, that was good enough for me for a while. Because it gave me the rare opportunity. I want to tell you, just because you have a good relationship with your children or grandchildren doesn't mean there's not times where you need to speak into their lives. You need to speak into their life. You've got friends that you see them getting, you see them getting off course, tragic. Young men, young women who when they were young people, they were in our youth group, they're off, they're off course now. I run across them, I try to stay in touch with them, but it's, it's a sad thing to see their life coming apart because of the destruction they've exposed themselves to. And there's people that God will put in your life that you are the voice, and it matters, it matters how you live your life. It matters how you live your life. And what is the history that God wants you to write? right now about 2020 i have a journal i carry a journal around i take notes when i'm in sunday school i take it when we're visiting churches i i, I usually take it with me everywhere i go when i when god gives me that idea i write but i will confess that most of the thing i write in the journal is in retrospect you know i i said this is what happened today and this is who i talked to and and as i look at that Boy, do I have times where I says, man, I missed that. One evening after the start of this year, one evening I got home and, I, and it came back to my mind. I had a situation out in the parking lot of this church and I missed it. I, I just, I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I missed that. I hope I have another chance at that again. And maybe if I was more looking forward than looking backward, do you think that God will show us more if we learn to look forward than backward? In fact, I think if there's one thing we do too much of is looking backward. Because when you look backward, you tend to see the mistakes. You tend to see the failures. You tend to see decisions you made is, oh, wow, I wish I had that one back. Financial decisions that you, I wish I had that back. I wish I had that moment, that intersection in my life where I made a decision, I wish I had that back. What better way is to start 2020, here it is five days already into it, saying, Lord, what miracles do you have for me? What kind of person do you want me to be? Where do you want to change me? What miracles do you have? Can I pre-write my history? In fact, as far as I know, now I didn't make Brenda come today, but I'm glad she did. Well, I don't make you come, right? I'm on your own. I pray. Whew, praise God. And sometimes, well, you're the pastor, and she's, she's the pastor's wife. You should come. We could have stayed at home. Stayed home. In fact, I called Brad up the other night and says, I, I need you to preach for me Sunday. This was last Sunday on Saturday night. Now, I know you're going to get mad at me by this, but I was just messing with him. 
because I know he was teaching and he was doing children's church that that morning. I said, man, I, I'm going to have to have you preach for me Sunday morning. He said, well, uh, I, I, I can't be in two places at the same time. I said, well, I'm just messing with you. And I think probably Brad feels coerced to be here every Sunday too. But my point is, I think most of us are here because we decided to be here. What are you going to do with the rest of your day? What are your plans? Well, we're going to go eat. Duh. That's what everybody does, right? You go eat. What about after that? Do you think that quite possibly God has a plan for you to engage in somebody's life today that is untypical of what your day usually is? Do you think we're somehow missing a level of excitement in serving God just because we're just rep repeating what we did last week? There's no prehistory. There's no, like, oh, I, I need to talk to someone. It'd be kind of interesting just run up in a gas station. You know what? I haven't talked to anybody today, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm supposed to talk to you about Jesus. I can't go to bed. I understand that D.L. Moody sometimes and, and people like that was like that, and they'd go running out on the sidewalk trying to find somebody late night. He said, I need to talk with someone about the Lord. Hey, you, buddy. But it would work out better if we kind of like pre-planned that. How many of you want to have a history this year? And I want to ask our praise team to come back up. How many of you want a history this year that's really, really different from the one last year, no matter how, how good last year was? How many of you want a different history? Anybody here need more boldness? Well, you need to do that, Andrew. <laughs> Come on down here, Andrew. Come down here. I want you to stand with me. 82nd Airborne. Andrew was stationed at Fort Gordon years ago a signal unit worked on you, you worked on radios and and communications right station where jason is stationed right now jason's being moved to fort lewis in washington state at fort lewis oh we're, we're getting way too close here this You was really in Fort Lewis? And, and, and I guess, well, you don't have to swear. I, I believe you. Don't, 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 don't be swearing, okay? But you, you, have, you were in Fort Lewis. Well, Jason's going, Jason must be following you around. But I, I'll tell you something that happened with our histories. I want you to stand with me. I'll, I'll be brief with this. Andrew has not been conditioned for Assembly of God church service 
rules and regulation, right? <laughs> He's raised Catholic. But Andrew's truck in a driving rain stalled out here in the parking lot about a year ago. And uh, he walked up to that door, knocked on the door, soaking wet, and said, um, can I use the phone? I need to call my son. So he dials, the son doesn't answer. He said, well, I guess I'll just walk. And I said, where, where do you stay? He said, I live in an RV park right down here in Cottondale. I said, I'll drive you. And on the way, I started talking to him about Jesus. And uh, it's, it was an interesting conversation. And I prayed with him while he was sitting in the truck. That was how we met. And a few days after that, he came back to get his truck and to fix it. He sat down in it, and it fired right up with no problem. Wasn't a thing wrong with it. Broke down a few days before that. And I told him then, I said, I believe all of this has happened is for me to be able to speak into your life the purpose of God. And God has done a lot in his life. There's a lot to be done, but I want to tell you, he is as surrendered as he knows to do. And he is as open as an open book. Some of us want to not open the book too much. But if you open your book to the Lord this morning, and this is, this is a commitment service for the start of 2020, I'm going to ask you to come down here and say, Lord, rewrite my history. Whatever the history was going to be, I don't want it to be what I can make it. I want you to make it because you're the only one that can really do the history right. So, Lord, I pray this morning not only over Andrew, that 2020 will be a year of breakthrough for him, a year of healing for him, a year of transformation for him from his head to his feet, but also for all of us, Lord. We need to change our world, but we can't change our world without you changing us. Change us, Lord. I'm asking that this front of this room right here, this altar, would become a place of spiritual surgery. That you take out our hearts and our minds, the limitations that we have put on ourselves. And you let us go and you turn us loose to be your instruments in our world, in this city, in our neighborhoods, in a classroom, in our workplace, in businesses, wherever we encounter people, Lord, would you help us to influence our culture, our community, our families with change, life change. And if that's your prayer, I want you to just come and start walking down this way. If that's your prayer, I want you to just come and stand here. <clears throat> and there are so many people in this room that's got ministry all in your life. Might not be in a pulpit, it, but there's, there's influence in you. You have influence. Bring your influence to the feet of Jesus. Because there's people all around you that God's going to use you to change. I believe that. You're going to be like an, an apostolic instrument 
where you're at, where you were. God is going to use you. Believe that. I want you to believe that. God is going to use you this year like you never thought possible. Hallelujah.